from baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We got a little A's Unfiltered for you today, and we're going to play some of the interviews that we've recently had on A's Cast Live. We're going to have the HUD man, Rex Hudler from the Kansas City Royals, Ryan Roland Smith from the Mariners, our guy Steve Sparks from the Astros, and Tom Grieve, who's had a legendary career with the Texas Rangers. But we'll start this one out with the Wonder Dog, Rex Hudler. I have said this before, and I will say this again in front of him. If I was in a major battle, whatever, business, health, and I needed a pep talk, if I needed somebody to get me going and to get me fired up, a battle for my life, there's one guy in baseball who I'd want me to give to give me that inspirational pep talk. That would be the great Rex Hudler, and he joins us here from the Kansas City Royals. Hud, man, it is great to have you back on the program. Oh, hey, buddy, I'm so thrilled to be with you and very sorry that when we came to Oakland last week, I wasn't able to be on with you. But, man, I just want to say thank you. And I do don't want to burst your bubble or anything, but you can't use the word great anywhere near my name because, heck, I was just a bootleg player in my day. Are you kidding me? You're the you're one of the prides of Northern California. You're in the Fresno Hall of Fame. We know all about your career. You played <laughs> you played in Major League Baseball from I'm looking at 1984 to 1998. You know you had a good career, and to hang on that long, and then to look what you've done in broadcasting, my friend, that's called a great baseball life. Oh, you know, I've been blessed totally, no doubt, especially at birth with great parents and great genetics. And, and so I had, I was a competitive kid in Fresno from elementary school on. I knew I wanted to be a, a professional athlete. I wasn't sure what sport that uh, God was going to direct me to, but I played them all and had fun. And then my senior year in high school at Bullard, uh, gosh, I got drafted in the 18th, uh, 18th pick in the country by the New York Yankees in the first round. And before that, I had a full ride uh, football scholarship to play at Notre Dame and catch passes from some guy named Joe Montana. And that was in 1978. Uh, and I was all set to go to college. And then the Yankees came out of nowhere and drafted me. So that kind of begun that career. And man, I, I, the thing I'm really most proud of is the 10 years in the minor leagues I had to do before I could get to the big leagues. And that was a, I learned a lot about myself during that time, how to persevere, how to handle six years of A-ball, uh, how to not give up and how to continue to push and, and, and persevere and finally get the prize. And the prize for me was was a, a, a beautiful wife I met, and we've been married for 33 years. She's the pride of my baseball career and my children we've had, my four kids. So really been blessed. There's no doubt about it. You realize you could have been Steve Largent before Steve Largent. <laughs> yeah, you know the fact I didn't I didn't go to Notre Dame, it really hurt Joe Montana's career, didn't it? <laughs> you know what? You're so right. Montana, man, he would have never made you know, he's lucky to have made the Hall of Fame without you. <laughs> anyway, just uh, great to be able to relive some memories with you, but I love the Central San Joaquin Valley, the uh, the Bay Area. We just had a wonderful visit there. 
and a, and a nice uh, the Royals were five and four on the trip, so it was a pretty good trip for them. Yeah, when I think about these teams, and you know, obviously you look at them, they're both struggling. But the one thing that's different is you've got a lot of young players that you're trying to figure out. The A's are just starting to go that way. I know I was talking to the Fizz about this up in the press box in Oakland where he was surprised how old some of our players are. It's been a weird transition with the lockout and being able to sign and find younger guys. But I got to think from a Royals perspective, you delete, you're, you're at least able to enjoy looking at young players and potential future Royals. Oh, you know, that's the, that, that, you know, the, the real uh, uh, secret to, to, to big league baseball is veteran players. Veteran players, you know, who have been there and done it and, and, and ha- you know, have experience and have reps and have a track record. You know, that's what this game really is all about. But, hey, look, you, you can't stay old forever. The youth is coming. And I remember when I was a young prospect and those veteran players, they all know who's coming. But, you know, once they get here, how do they keep their head above water? That's the big part of the game that makes it this challenging for these kids. And how do you handle failure? I mean, they, they've, they've been able to handle some minor league failure, but once you get to the big leagues, you're going to humble pie awaits all, and you will get humbled in this game re- immediately. So it's how does a young kid stay, keep his head above water? And that's the deal. You got to surround yourself with good quality, po- positive people that can continue to build you up during your failure and, and, and somebody that's positive because it, baseball sometimes revolves around the negative. And I learned, the, I am a successful failure now. Having learned how to go through all that over 40 years, actually 21 seasons of baseball, and then now another 22 in broadcasting, it's so nice to be on the other side and have the second best job in the world and not have to go out there and try to hit that 95 every night. You know, it's a great way to put it because Paul Blackburn recently did that on this show right here where he said, hey, listen, I was DFA'd. I was essentially fired by the A's. And then, of course, I got my job back, and now I'm in the rotation. But the way he looked at it from a standpoint of uh, not DFA'd, go back to the minors, he saw it as failure. He saw it as he was fired, and it was like a wake-up call for him. It's interesting how different people and their journeys and how they view failure and success. Oh, for sure. And, you know, those those that can't handle it and have, you know, just get too frustrated. And when the door gets blocked and when it gets shut in your face, as it does in, in all of all of uh, professions that are at the top of the world, uh, it's very difficult. Some guys just give up. And I'm so thankful that. Um, I, I never I went back to Fresno after six years of A-ball, and, and the great coach Jim Sweeney was the f- head football coach in, for Fresno State Bulldogs. And he said, hey, young man, he took me to lunch. Young man, baseball, I don't know if it's going to work out for you, but I just want to tell you, you're 21 years old right now, and I'll give you a full-ride scholarship here, and you can come catch passes in, at uh, Bulldog Stadium here in your hometown. Um, I just want you to know that we have a scholarship for you. And I said, Coach, man, that is such a great thing to offer me at 21 now. I just got to tell you, though, I turned down Notre Dame to be a big league ball player. And I'm not a big league ball player yet, but I'm going to be. But thank you so much, Coach. I, 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 can't, uh, I can't give up on my dream. And I thanked him and moved on and just threw another log on that fire. And that log or chip, whatever you call it, most players have those. You have to have something 
that's going to continue to push you. And the fact that, that they did, a lot of people after that long in the minors didn't ever think I would amount to a major league player. Um, so it was fun to, to prove all those people wrong and to have a long career, but not to blame them, but just to say, hey, that's your opinion. Uh, but I'm going to continue to go with my heart, and my heart will take me where I want to go. Coach Sweeney was there forever at Fresno State. He won a lot of big games, no question about it. Uh, uh, and, and, and great by you to say, no, I'm going to stick with my dream. When you talk about young advice for players, you know, Hud, man, I mean, the bottom line is you come up, you want to do well, you want to make it, but you still got to fit in in the clubhouse. You still got to all pull on the same rope. You still got to try and win games. What is the balance between being selfish and getting your numbers, but also being a good team guy? Well, your ability is going to get you to the top. The cream rises to the top. I was told by my high school football coach a long time ago. And so the talent's going to get you there, but you have to be a team player uh, when you enter. There's some guys that aren't. They're me, me, I, I guys, but that kind of uh, finds them out. Being a team guy first and, and learning how to, to operate with your teammates that goes a long way. And so towards the end of my, my baseball career, I was a free agent. I was 35 years old and it already, you know, and I became a free agent for the first time. And Terry Francona, new manager with the Philadelphia Phillies, calls me and says, hey, Hud, I got 12 rookies on my team this coming season and you're a free agent. We want you to come here and, and I need your help to help police these kids, these young players. And I said, really, Philly? That sounds like a good time, but you guys are not, not a very good team right now, and I want, to, I want to try to find a winner if I can this late in my career. And then, you know, he said, Hud, I'll overpay you to come. And then, at 35 years old for a payday for me, it was my only big payday, I took it. And then I went on a journey of being a leader in the clubhouse, and I found out that you lead by love. You encourage you mentor, you love on these guys. And then next thing you know, you got them eating out of your hand. And then that's when you go, hey, uh, you know, when you guys are all getting on the airplane in front of all these 10-year veterans and coaches that have been here for years, you don't realize it, but you're cutting them off and you're disrespecting them. So, fellas, the best thing to do is to get on the airplane last. Wait till everybody gets on the plane. You're only a rookie one time in your career. So, guys, what do you think, man? Why don't you show us a little bit of respect? And you know how that was easy. I got on the team airplane. I was the last guy on the airplane. And there's 12 rookies standing there waiting to get on with a smile on their face. And I shook their hand and said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the respect that you're showing me. So little things like that, you know. You, but, but I learned about leading and you lead by love. Yeah, that's a, that's great because yeah, won't, won't, sometimes you just need to need some direction and teaching these young players. And I think about what's going on with the Oakland A's right now is some young players are starting to come up. Uh, it's just a tough situation when you're not winning. I mean, you've been on good teams, you've been on bad teams. What is it like, and what advice would you give guys on a team that's really struggling? And you're not even in July. Well, it's, and Kase knows all about it, playing 17 years in, in baseball. He, he has a good idea. He needs a couple of veterans in there. That's, that's always important, and he's got a few. Um, and you know what? I, you're right. I did play in a lot of uh, teams that weren't very good with losing records. But, you know, nobody's going to take the joy of being a major league player away from me, no matter what I was hitting or what our team record was. 
every day in the big leagues is short. Your, your career is very short. And so I might be bummed. I might be hitting 200 and I'm, I'm, I'm driving to the ballpark and I would look around and I would, I would look at and see what different jobs guys had uh, on the way to the ballpark. And I, and I was telling myself, you know, if I pulled over my car and I opened the door or the window and I asked this, this construction working guy, Hey, you want to come to the big leagues with me? Uh, I'm going to the big leagues tonight. You want to come with me? He would jump in my car in a heartbeat and drop his stuff and come and experience that. So that's what, by the time I opened the door of the clubhouse, I held my head like I was hitting 300. I walked in like we were in first place. And, and that's how you handle failure and being on a bad team. You have to keep your head up. What's in the past is gone. It's gone. Who's going to step up? Who's going to drive the bus tonight for us? So that type of mentality got me through those, those tough times. It's how you carry yourself. And there's only two things that a ball player can control in this game of being a piece of property and a commodity. You have a, have a good attitude and hustle, your output. That's, your, that's your, your, your two things you control. And when you can control those, you're going to have a, a much better journey. And that's how I got through it, by staying up, staying positive, and being a fountain, not a drain. How good is this Bobby Witt kid? Oh, man. You know, at the beginning of the season, we saw some of him during the pandemic as they were playing their, their, their uh, uh, camp games at Toppin Stadium when we were on the road. And we were doing uh, road games, piping them in from, from the K. And so I was able to watch this kid for about uh, probably 30 games during the summer. So I had a pretty good idea. So I compared him to Robin Yount, a young wow. Robin Yount. And, and, you know, that's a high praise for a, yeah. for a young kid. And I don't, I don't drop that on anybody. I've never compared a Robin Yount to any, anybody. But as I went on and the season started, there's a, my phone started ringing saying, Hud, you might be right. And I said, yeah, buddy, hey. So he's, he's uh, got tremendous quickness and speed. His feet are great. He gets himself in good position at shortstop. Uh, he, he hits. He stays inside the ball. He's a young Mike Trout, really, in, in my opinion. Uh, with an inside-out swing. He stays in inside the baseball. His first multi-home run hit game a couple of games ago, he had two of them to right center over the fence. So he's got a great approach, stay in the middle of the field, going to hit for a high average, kid's going to steal some bases. Uh, but his baseball IQ is off the charts for 22 years old. He just turned 22 last week. And his IQ and knowing the game is far better than, than I've ever seen a young player like that. So he's very impressive. Let's hope for health for this kid. But what we're watching is a future Hall of Famer. Well, you got a future Hall of Famer behind the dish there now. He, he, he's hurt, but uh, Salvador Perez has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, when you think about his career, sum up his great career for us, even though I know he's got more years left. Well, he, he's a, an enthusiastic, joyful, a talented player. He loves to play. He's, he's not afraid to smile on the field. Uh, he's, a, he's a leader. He's a, he's a guy who accepts that leadership role. He steps up. Uh, he, he carries the team on his back. He encourages, he's, you know, 6'4", uh, 230, 240 maybe. He's, he's a big, big stud, but he's a big teddy bear. And he loves, uh, in the clubhouse, he shares, and he's, there, he's our team leader. But this guy, uh, to catch at his size, to do what he does, last year, 48 homers, 
And I love Sean Murphy, and I'm proud he got a gold glove. But, man, Salvador Perez threw out 45% of runners, and he's got five goals already. Uh, Sean Murphy has had to have a pretty good year to, to, to take that gold glove from Salvi. But he's, he's a, a, a real, uh, genuine, happy player, and he's got a lot of skills. Hudman, it's always great to have you on the program. Uh, I actually got to see you on the field a little bit. Too bad you couldn't come over to the set, but just having you on the show always means a lot. You be well, and let's talk later in the season. Oh, anytime. Hey, thank you again for having me. I love sharing, and I appreciate your, your fans out there. Hang in there. Keep your heads up. You too. Take care. Thank you. The Hudman, Rex Hudler, he's great. And from Rex Hudler, it's like we're going down under. We've got the Australian Ryan Roland Smith going to be breaking it down here. We're going to love it because we're going to hear about our old friend, Grant Balfour. Ryan, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate it, fellas. Thanks for having me. All right, here's the scenario. I owe you $5.9 million. That's a lot of money, right? Yeah, I- I guess so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not going to pay you that money all up right now. I'm just going to pay you $30 million for the next 25 years of your life. Mm-hmm. That's the Bobby Bonilla deal. So every, every year he's getting, what, 1.3 on this day. Who thought in the accounting department of the New York Mets that this was a good idea? I guess it was a little bit of that short-term thinking, obviously trying to manipulate the, obviously manipulate the, 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 the payroll a little <laughs> bit and, you know, sweeten the deal, whatever it may be. But, hey, listen, I have, it's interesting, man. Like, I've had a couple of guys, a, a good friend of yours, Grant Balfour, who was with the, the Oakland days. When yeah. he signed his deal, he had deferred money. And I guess there's a little bit of a, you know, interest add-on that the, the Oakland days would have to add on to that deal. So he actually gets paid just a you know a little bit more if you add a little bit of interest. But then I played with guys who, no, 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 I need all that money up front. I need that money now. Like, or or they they don't stagger it. Like another little um, you know, tactic, I guess, is where you go, you know, say you sign a 40 mil, 40 million dollar deal in four years, you take a couple mil the first year and it staggers up, you get more and more, it's backloaded. So when it's your free agent deal, you're like, well, last year I was making you know, whatever it is, like $20 million, even though it was a $40, $40 million deal, if that makes sense. So a couple of little, little uh, you know, things. But I, I know you guys are talking about Max Scherzer. I, I know that he, uh, the, the Nationals are still paying him for yeah. a long time, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at those deals. I just think for Bobby Bonilla, I mean, how great is that, that in your life, you just know on this date, 1.3 is getting wired to you, and now Max Scherzer it, for yeah. the next seven years is getting 15 million every year on this date. And it just, when you hear this kind of stuff and we go back and think about the lockout and how we missed the first part of the season, it's always like when you hear players complain that they're not getting enough and then you get these stories and you just go, Oh wow. I mean, it's really yeah. hard to fit. And remember Max Scherzer was one of the biggest guys uh, who was a part of the negotiations, and now he's getting a check today for $15 million from a team he doesn't right. play for anymore? Mind-blowing. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you know, I haven't thought about the lockout a lot, obviously, because we've been getting a chance to play baseball. But going back to that time, you know, the, one of the biggest issues that they did not address was the, you know, they're talking about a salary floor or this tanking, yeah. you know, situation. They didn't even touch that. I think the, from the player's point of view, they wanted to 
you know, essentially protect some of these younger players and, and everything else. But when you go from the outside looking in, look, I'm Australian, right? So I go back to Australia and, and I try and justify the lockout and why the players are upset, why the teams are upset. People are kind of scratching their head because yeah. professional athletes <laughs> have paid a fraction of that back in Australia. Like, really? Like, are we really, are, you, are they really talking about delaying a season or not even having a season after you just had COVID? You just had a six, little 60 game season a couple of years ago. Your fans are just like checking out left, right, and center. So I think it, going back to that and then looking back in hindsight, it's like, guys, seriously? But on the flip side, from a player's point of view, they just got absolutely you know, crushed when it comes to front offices manipulating like crazy to have the ability to cut out the 35-year-old-plus player to all of a sudden go, oh, you know, what's a good business strategy to wave the white flag for three to five years and rebuild. So, you know, you look at a lot of those things, the whole thing, I haven't thought about lockout a lot until, until I've joined you guys, but it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I like things in the review mirror. Still frustrated though, that the, the, the guys who are tanking, you know, for real, man, they, they, they had to fix that. By the way, you're welcome. We, we brought you back. <laughs> yeah, we no, we no, brought no. you back to the, to, to, to the lockout days. No, I agree with you. I was all in on that. Um, obviously, you've seen what our, our – I mean, we'd be hypocrites if we didn't mention it. I mean, you look at what we're doing. But right. I was all in for a floor, and I go, listen, I don't know what goes on in these meetings. I, don't, I understand everybody wants to have the freedom to make what – Mike Trout makes, what Juan Soto is now going to make, Mookie Betts. I get all that, but the majority of you will never, ever, ever, ever see that. The majority of you won't even have careers that are three years long. And when you look at salary caps, when you look at salary caps in the other sports, football, basketball, and hockey, they have them. Why? Because it works. And a lot of players who aren't going to have longer careers would actually make more money for themselves if they were in a salary cap, but it's like the big-name agents and the big-name players, they're controlling everything. And I worry, Ryan, you think about the guys. You mentioned 35-plus. We're now acting guys like 33, 32. We got Elvis Andrus. He's 33. People around here are acting like he's about to be in a wheelchair. I'm really worried at the about all the players in their 30s. How about you? Well, 100%. And you go back and – Okay, I understand I, from a uh, from a team's point of view. I understand the the value in having a twenty two year old, you know, flush roster of young twenty two year olds. I get that, but again, if you value winning and you go back from every team that's gotten all the way to win that World Series, look at some of the 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 X factors. Like in other words, a lot of these a lot of these teams they live off analytics, right? They live off guys who have never played the game. And all of a sudden on paper, this player, that player, whatever numbers, blah, blah, blah. So they all kind of have that. It's like, okay, that's the 60% part of building a good team and and a good year. What are those little X factors? And you go back from every year in the last five years, go and look at what was the difference. Those veteran players, I'm not trying to sound old school here, but some of those veteran (laughs) players, when it comes to, uh, experience when it comes to being in that moment before when it comes to some of the human element man there is so much value in that and I think that when and again this goes back to front offices that don't quite understand what it's like really to be in the trenches with guys 
have that chemistry and that flow as, as the season goes on through 162 games. And so it worries me too. Yes, the game's getting younger. Is it getting better? I don't know. I, I love I love these guys, the, watching these guys who are you know a little bit older who can stay in shape. Obviously, you know Verlander's kind of proven that. Thirty nine years old, it takes a little extra to be at that level at that age. I get that, I understand that, but at the same time, and there is so much value in having some of those guys to f- fill your roster with different intangibles that you can't put down in analytics. Well, one guy who's done a great job this year, and I'm being told you did a podcast with him today, we like to call him Polly Winday, Polly Blackburn, the way he's turned around his career. Uh, promote the podcast because you know we love some Paul Blackburn. Let's get some of our fans listening to your podcast. Yeah, well, first of all, it, it, it is co-hosted, not this episode because he's out on a beach in Tampa, Florida, but Grant Balfour, Balfour, <laughs> yeah. he's my co-host. He is so good to listen to, and he's getting more and more comfortable diving into some stories. I had Dallas Braden a couple of weeks ago talking about, you know, talking about you guys, the situation out in Oakland. He had such a good perspective from a kid who grew up in the Bay Area, and, you know, obviously in Stockton. And so it's really interesting because I do dive into everything that happened with the Oakland days. But again, Grant Balfour is co-hosting. But today I got a chance to sit down with Paul Blackburn. Wow, what an amazing, amazing story. I asked him, I said, do you frame this as like, a comeback or as a breakout year? And he didn't quite, he's like, man, that's a good question. I don't yeah, know. It because is. He, he talked about how he kind of got pushed to the side last year and all the things he went through mentally and everything else. And man, you look at him this year. I, I said to him, I said, dude, you need to be getting national recognition, which is hard when you're a West Coast team, as I know being with the Mariners and you guys know with the Oakland A's. The numbers he's putting up this year are insane. But he dived into it. It was so good talking about a bunch of different stuff and, and everything else. So uh, it's called the Top Step Podcast, basically the Top Step of the Dugout. You go to thetopstep.com. You can check it out. A bunch of different episodes from Max Scherzer, who we were just talking about, Liam Hendricks, uh, an ex-athletic, and, and uh, Dallas Braden. I'm just trying to throw some some Oakland A's at you. Uh, Paul Blackburn coming up and and everyone in between. Mitch Hanniger as well. So a bunch of, bunch of different players on there jumping on. Yeah, Mitch Hanniger, also a Bay Area guy, too, from uh, the South yes. Bay. So, uh, definitely. And, by the way, I'm going to steal that question from you next time we have Paul Blackburn on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like I didn't hear this. I'm going to go, hey, I got a question. I'm stealing. I think that's great because what is this? Is this, like, a coming out party or is this, like, hey, you should be up for comeback player of the year? Yeah, it's – it's a tough one because you know, I had Daniel Bard on the show and he, he was the National League Comeback Player of the Year. And that's obviously seven years he was out of the game, had the yips and the whole thing. But, but you know, Paul has kind of had that 26th man label to him, I guess, um, every year in, year out. Now all of a sudden he makes the team out of spring, which he, told, which, which he told me it was a huge deal for him. I don't know if people understand that. He was like, man, I was really fighting to, after getting DFA, to actually be – a part of this team. And I made the team and I was just like celebrating like crazy. And was, you don't think about it because look at the numbers he's putting up and, and everything else. So I, you know, I, I don't know if it's a comeback, if it's, if you call it a comeback, he's kind of in between either yeah. way, man, it is super cool to see what he's doing. It's fun to watch. Well, one guy who I'm already tired of, and he just started his career. And if we're gonna have to watch this for a long time, this Julio Rodriguez show has got to stop because every single time he sets up against the A's, 
The ball's going out to left. It's going out to right center. He's making plays. I mean, we all kind of laughed Kelnick. It's like, oh, this guy's supposed to be so great. Oh, he's going back to AAA. Uh, this Rodriguez kid is the real deal, and it's scary. Yeah, he. Uh, you mentioned those two guys, and, you know, look, I'm sure, you know, Jared Kelnick will come back and, and be a big leaguer and, and put up some good numbers. But <sighs> Julio Rodriguez and, and, you know, people back when I, when I got done playing and before I you know, jumped on with the Mariners and did some stuff, but people said, oh, would you be interested in scouting? And, you know, international scouting specifically, obviously, because I'm Australian. And I was like, I wouldn't make a good scout because it doesn't matter how good the player is. I always look at the floors or look at the glass half empty. You know, so even when I look at Julio Rodriguez, he's that one guy when I'm watching, there is none. And I'm sorry to say it, but he is just on another level. Jared Kelnick, when he was called up last year, I mean, it was everyone was banging the drum. It was insane. Like, they were comparing it to – Felix Hernandez, King Griffey Jr. Even I'm like, man, slow all right. down. Like, yeah, exactly. And there was flaws there. Like when you're watching him play, like even the spring training, there was a couple of these these things you look at that that are. But Jared, I mean, Julio Rodriguez, man, it's he just takes pride in the athleticism, in the speed, in, in the play, being a center fielder, not just being pigeonholed to a left fielder. All these little things that from a young player you look at, and go, man. That's exciting. And then then you put the exit below on the end of that. Now he's starting to lift the ball, get that launch angle where the balls are starting to get in the air a little bit more. It's scary, man. He, he is, i, I got to say, he is the real deal for sure. Yeah, and, and I know we always joke, you know, Moneyball when Billy Bean says, I don't care how the guy looks. We're not selling jeans here. But like, <laughs> yeah, like yesterday when he hit the home run and he's rounding first base and he's pointing out to center field and he's got that big smile and he's a good-looking young kid, you go – Yep, he's got star written all over him. Yeah, he he absorbs that role, if that makes sense. Like he absorbs all that attention. I think with and I keep comparing Jared Kelnick, it's kind of easy to do that. I think you know Jared Kelnick's fighting air half the time. You know what I mean? Like he's trying to deflect it, like deflect everything, and and he's fighting. You know, he's got. With I think with Julio Rodriguez, I think he really just takes on uh, that kind of attention in a good way. And, then, and on the flip side too, man, like the first opening day here, you know, I go up and sort of do the rounds and reintroduce myself to some of the players and stuff. And, you know, if you're part of the media or whatever, you don't, you just, I get it as a player. I'm like, you know, just leave me, leave me alone. Half the time. <laughs> I'm going around and shaking hands, saying hi, just trying to tiptoe, you know, I walk up to him, Julio, how you doing, man, Ryan? I don't know what the kid's like for real. He's like, hey, what's going on, man? Good to see you. But he, he just kind of has that thing about him where he is present. And I think that with, taking on all the expectations and the physical tools and how just free and easy he moves as an athlete. Then you put on that X below 110 plus man at a, at a frequent rate. It's scary. It really is. He's going to be really good. You know, when you look at the Mariners right now and you know, 37 and 41, 12 and a half games back, I just don't see whether it's Texas or the angels catching the Houston Mm -hmm. Astros, but I think if you're these teams, you could say, well, I know everybody in the East is playing well, but if I'm the Mariners, I'm still in the wild card race, and it's July yeah. 1st. I mean, I everybody in the East is playing like you know what. They have just been a division that's hell on wheels. What chance July 1st, only four and a half back for the wild card, do you give the Mariners? It, 
you know, only because I'm talking to you guys. If I was talking to someone in Seattle, I'd be like, no, 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 they're, they're, they're still good to go. They're going to go to the playoffs. But I think because I'm talking <laughs> to you guys, I can speak a little differently. I, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, the month of, the month of May was a real letdown. It was a real bummer. It really was. Um, April, they were sort of like, okay, you know, it's early, it's early. May rolled around, and all of a sudden, the, the depth issue showed up. You know, for you guys last year, for example, when you guys were running for a playoff spot, and then you kind of you fell off at the end. But the years prior to that, even the times when Grant Balfour was with you guys and there was always that constant, yeah, running for that playoff spot, there was just that depth. There was that extra player off the bench. There was that guy hitting eighth in the lineup. There was that that guy in the bullpen who kind of like, you know, um, who glued the starter to the closer. The Mariners have just haven't had that extra dude, that that little that little piece of depth, I think, that they needed. And this goes back to spring training. So that worries me a little bit. They're on a little bit better run right now. They're starting to hit a little bit in the, in the middle of the lineup. Um, you know, Jesse Winker, I still don't quite know what to make of him, to be honest. Like, where's that extra 20 feet of ball, you know, the, the extra 20 feet of flight on the ball? He just hasn't said maybe because he's playing in Cincinnati last year. Um, but when you watch him right now in the last couple of weeks, they've looked a lot better. But, man, it's going to be – you mentioned some of those teams are up against for that, even that wild card. It's going to be, it's going to be, they're going to get on a tear quick, I think. Well, before we let you go, this just popped up, and we were talking about earlier how just everything's changing. We're seeing, you know, I know you follow American sports when USC and UCLA are now joining the Big Ten uh, up there in the Pacific Northwest. The Live Tour is playing, competing against the PGA Tour. So many different things are changing, and you just think about baseball. Would you come in like 2007 or six, right around in there? 2007, first year in the big leagues, yeah. All right. If I would have said in 2007, I would have said, hey, by the way, uh, Apple, um, which I don't even know if you really knew much about Apple, you're going to be playing on uh, Apple TV. I, it just came up right here on my phone. Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Jose Altuve, Kyle Tucker, and Angels and the Astros clash, Friday Night Baseball, Apple TV. It's like, isn't it amazing how fast we consume our sport and how fast oh, yeah. it's changing? Yeah, it's insane. Um, you know, there's you can go down all kinds of different rabbit holes with with what's happening. You know, from our attention span, you know, like everyone's attention spans are so much shorter. People want like with the Apple TV, the Apple games. I've seen quite a few of them, and and they're really trying to you know go in different directions. And I think for for me, I don't know for you guys, but Man, I just, I just, I just want to watch. For, I just want to watch watch baseball. Like you know, what I'm saying, like I just, I, I know the game well enough. I don't have to be like wowed with all these extra little, you know, content on the on the on the side of things to to throw at me to to make things different. But you know, it, it's 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 nuts, man. I I don't even think like I was, I was talking to Dallas Braden about this too. You've got the way a game, the audio soundtrack of a game. You have got the play by play guy and the color analyst. You know. I I feel like you go back. You mentioned two thousand seven to now. I think you go another ten, ten years from now, and it's going to be completely different. I think, and you've seen like little you know snippets of that with the NFL. Now they've got two dudes sitting on the couch and having people come <laughs> in. The way you take on how you listen to people break the game down, I think it's going to be completely different. I, I really do. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But I think there's going to be like you know now you're going to have like. I hope not. I'm just, you know, going put my, put my my hat, my um, crystal ball out here for a second. But 
Are you going to have like a panel of six dudes sitting around and breaking down something or during the game? I don't know, whatever it may be. Or you may have six different ways to listen to, six different options to listen to who's, you know, being the Dallas Braden and, you know, that you play by play goal, whatever it may be. Um, it's, it's one of these things, man. It's crazy the, how fast it changes and how you have to now all of a sudden abide to people's attention spans because people can't sit down for three hours and just watch a frigging baseball game. It's just so different now, you know? Well, let's end on this. Because of Balfour, because of Liam, you'd be you're proud you should be proud. We've got all kinds of Australians and people in New Zealand who who take in A's baseball. We have a fan who calls in to the show named Lucas, who's gonna be here I think in three weeks. We're totally setting him up. But oh, wow. when he always calls, like he called last night, and you're like, well, it's already Saturday there. And so we have Australians who are all into A's baseball, and whenever they come to Oakland, okay. we take care. We're taking care of your people here in the Bay Area. Uh, no, trust me. You've, you've had some good ones, man. You've had some good eggs, man. Balfour, obviously, Liam Hendricks. You've had you know, just a couple cup of coffee, coffees too. I think Rich Thompson was there for just a second. I think Luke Hughes was another one who was there for just a second yeah. as well. But uh, – I mean, when you've got two guys like Liam Hendricks and, and Grant Balfour, who, by the way, back in Australia in the baseball community, everyone loves them. Like, you know, I mean, they, they should just build a bronze statue at the airport. You know, I'm, I'm joking. But, but for both those guys, you, you do see the kids having the, the following still, even though Liam's left especially, but you still see the Oakland A's gear everywhere, the hats, the, the, the jerseys or whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, no, definitely. Everyone knows everything about the Oakland A's back home. That is for sure. Uh, promote your podcast one more time. Oh, for sure. It's called The Top Step with uh, Ryan Roland Smith, Grant Balfour. We have current players, former players, all different walks of life. We have an Aussie segment. We have the Australian word of the day. You can learn something, get educated about Australian culture for sure. We have a good laugh, but that's a lot of fun, man. I, I just love having conversations with these players and diving into whether it's how do you, you know, prep for the you know, Paul Blackburn tomorrow, how are you prepping for the Mariners to take me back to that time when you got DFA'd or, you know, your off season or whatever it may be. I, I love it, man. It's a blast. So, um, yeah, if you go to the, the top www.thetopstep.com, go there, check out all the episodes and enjoy. Yeah. For God's sake, Grant Balfour, you know how much everybody in our uh, fan base loves him. So we'll, we'll keep promoting it. Thank you for yeah, coming he, yeah. on. We always appreciate it. And let's do this again soon. Let's do it, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Appreciate it, guys. Mariners pre and post. He's good. Great talking baseball with Ryan, and then he's one of our all-time favorites. The former A, the knuckleballer, now does play-by-play for the Houston Astros. We got Sparksy, Steve Sparks. I got out of the elevator today, and I saw the great Steve Sparks, and he said he was not coming on. I'm like, what, what do you mean you're not coming on? You don't pay me enough. Well, that uh, that's fact. Well, you, remember, you're back in Oakland. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, what do you mean you're not going to come on the program? Like, we got to have you on the program. I wanted to make sure. 2003, Oakland Athletic. Yeah, that, that was the year I was here uh, the last couple months of the season, and, of course, that playoff run against the Boston Red Sox in the ALDS. That was a lot of fun. Well, you've always said this is one of your favorite spots to come to. It is. You know, this is this is the most fun I ever had as a player. I played 19 years, 10 years in the minor leagues, nine years in the major leagues. And this little pocket uh, with playing with the Oakland A's uh, was the most fun I ever had. Just the playoff atmosphere. Uh, the teammates were great. Tejada, Zito, and 
all those guys. It was just a fantastic time to be here. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm so starting to thaw on the whole cheating scandal thing. And I hate the Yankees. And the fact that you guys go back there, do what you did, the Astros, and then against the Mets, and I'm still turning on MLB Network, and they act like the Yankees have already won the World Series. I'm like, Mm. this Astros team, it's no joke, can beat you in any way. They got everything. I mean, I just – I'm – I'm now, I hate to say it, it's almost like I'm rooting for you guys now. Well, you know what? There's a long way to go. Yeah. You know, you got to stay healthy. I think coming in toward the, the trade deadline, the one thing that I think the Astros have an advantage over a lot of teams, they don't need any pitching. You know, they might be able to uh, acquire an arm, but they're not desperate in the rotation at all. They feel good. And the other thing, I, I think just going the rest of this way, the way they played against the Yankees and the Mets, the way they went in there and, and basically not one batter came to the plate in those nine games against the New York teams when the Astros were behind. That's amazing. They yeah. got walked off twice by Judge. But other than that, I'll say this after that, you can tell the Astros aren't afraid of them. And I would bet that, that some of the Yankee people in the front office, if they're being honest, they're a little afraid what the Astros did when they came into town. Yeah, that third inning hit, which you've done an imitation of that third inning hit on the on the show for me before. If you remember, the third that. inning hit. Yeah. What's this by Kaiser Permanente? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had you guys like like the last time the Astros had been down was like against the White Sox in like late May was the last time. I think it was June 18th. You know, if I'm not mistaken, I had that note uh, a couple of days ago. So. They're playing good, yeah. you know, but but at the same time, there's a, a there's a lot that can happen, you know. Verlander heads the list. I mean, he is pitching like he did how a few years possible? ago. We don't know how it's possible. We really don't. He's just 39 years old, continuing to throw that four seam fastball, and fastball counts like nobody else does, and, and just he's John Wayne right now. He just goes out after guys and just said, try to hit it, just try and he'll get pop-ups and strikeouts all day long. So uh, it's remarkable in that respect. But it, I will say this, and I don't know if anybody's coming on your show to say this, the most indispensable player on this Astros roster right now is hitting a buck fifty, and that's Martin Maldonado. They can't afford to lose him. What he did the other day against the Angels down the line, where he, uh, was, oh, it yeah. Walt, was it Walsh on first? Who was on first? Where it wasn't paying attention. Boom, got him. Snuck behind him. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, that was, that was tricky. But just what he's been able to do with but this But all the rumors say staff. you guys are looking for a catcher. Well, that would be crazy. Who, who goes and gets a catcher in the middle of the season? Who, what contender does that? I, I just can't imagine them doing that. Now, if it's a backup catcher to Maldonado for insurance in case something happens to him, mm-hmm. I'm all for it, but nobody's replacing him right now. And you know who would back you up 100% is our our great friend Ray Fossey. Ray Fossey would say all the time, hitting is just a bonus. I don't care what the catcher hits. And, of course, Ray caught one of the greatest staffs ever that won all these World Series here in the 70s. Ray would say, I don't care what I hit. What's Cash? What's Catfish doing? Right. What's Raleigh doing? What's Vida doing? What's Ken Holtzman doing? Like yeah. it was all about. He didn't care what the average was, and I think he'd agree with you one hundred percent. Here's what Dusty says about Maldonado. He says, "What I love is that we have a game plan, and we'll go out there, we'll execute, we'll execute. But then Maldonado's got this other plan, and he's the great improviser. And when you need to go off script, every once in a while in those big moments, and, and good pitchers will tell you." all the time that there's two or three big moments in a game where this means a lot. You know, Verlander always recognizes it, but Maldonado 
recognizes it for everybody else. And he gets them to believe and have conviction on a big pitch off script uh, in those impro improvisation moments uh, that the Astros need it most. Now for you as a knuckleballer, a good catcher would be basically what, a guy who could catch it? Yeah, just somebody, <laughs> you know, Brad Osmus, who's here. I, yeah. just, I just had a conversation with him. He was probably the best I had. Really? Just because he was a, a great athlete. You know, he was one of those guys that would take ground balls at shortstop every day. He had the great feet. He's smaller and good hands. Uh, and he wouldn't reach for it. I think that's the main thing as a knuckleball catcher is not to reach for the ball because usually the good movement is really late. Did your guys have, like, the bigger glove yeah. and all that? Yeah. yeah, so all the guys that, that – have them now. There hasn't been a big leaguer throw the knuckleball for a little bit, though. They're all wearing this one model of glove, and it's made by Rawlings, and it's the Pro Sparks. And I actually designed it. Really? Yeah, so there's a couple of gloves that I had throughout the minor leagues and early on in the minor leagues, and I made a couple of tweaks to it, and I sent it to Rawlings. They sent it back, uh, told them a couple more things, tweaked it out again, and they stamped Pro Sparks on it, and that's what everybody's been using since. Do you get any love out of not that? A, not a dime. Same thing. You know what? I, I, I get exactly the same that I get uh, for coming on A's cast. You know what, Cody? Can, can Cody. We get, can we get him a sign ball? Buy me. We give him like a Tony Kemp sign ball. You know, we're going to get you a sign ball. Buy me a foam finger. That's all, I, <laughs> that's all I care. There's cheese shakes outside. I'll get you one. Perfect. <laughs> we'll get you the uh, the trite and the ride the wave trite. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's all I want. Problem is that wave crashed at 86 wins, but uh, we'll still get you the trite. Uh, when, you, when you're looking at pitching and you're looking at starting pitching, I know we've talked to you about this before, want to follow up, yeah. and I know Jeff Passon just did an article on it. We're not getting the innings. I, I don't know how it's going to work. Like, what, what are teams? I mean, start. What do you, how do you value a, a starting pitcher now? You can't value them to the same degree you used to. I know price is going up anyway, but right now if, if the average pitcher's throwing just a barely over five innings, uh, then their value is much less. And, and maybe you put a little bit more premium on the guy that, that gets some holds. You know, there, there's two or three guys in the Astros bullpen uh, that are there's their tongues are hanging out right now because they've come in into so many games that they're, they've been on top, but the starter only goes six innings. they got to cover, cover nine outs somehow, and those guys mean more to teams. Well, Ryan Stanek was out here earlier, and he loved the hair comment, by the way. He, he did? He loved the hair rock. Yeah, yeah, I said 80s hair rock. Sparksy brought it up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. How do, how do you keep a team thoroughly engaged, a good team through the whole season? I, I didn't really think about this because we're so far away from the playoffs, but making sure you have one or two seed and you have the bye. Now that we have a bye in our sport, that's a kind of a big deal. You don't want to be in the early round, so that could keep you right. going, keep you concentrating. Uh, I'll, say, I'll say this. The mental side uh, of the game, uh, you can almost throw that equation out with this team because they're really good at treating every game the same, even when it's the postseason. Uh, they know how to prepare. Michael Brantley kind of, has kind of set that tone for a while now, and they just look at him. Uh, what's Michael do, and how does he stay uh, on this routine? And I'm sure Kotze is doing the same with a lot of these guys, with Elvis Andrew and Tony Kemp and those guys setting some sort of an, an example for these guys to learn how or what it takes to, to be on a, on a winning team and, and what you have to do to be mentally ready. But uh, mentally, when, when you talk about letdowns for the Astros, they've got plenty to play for, and they've got their their sights on, on, on the ring again. And uh, I think because of what transpired in 2017, 
they all want that ring so nobody can really say you know anything about it being tainted and and they can feel good about it themselves uh, and, and proud of the jobs they've done well and, and what it would mean to the organization too to kind of get away from and we talked about it here on A's cast live about the whole tank draft ah just because they took it down to the studs it's like you look around the majority of these guys are not from the tank draft there's just a, you know, right. Altuve wasn't from a draft. He wasn't even drafted. I mean, you got Bregman. Good to see Mark Appel back in the big leagues. That's right. a great story. Yeah. But Jordan Alvarez wasn't from it. Tucker. Tucker. Verlander, you can't count him. I mean. Right. Pena. I mean, this is a team that's not built because the team went to the skids. And, and, and that's why, because we're kind of dealing with that. People people want to use the Astros as an example. I'm like, hey, the reason why the Astros keep winning every year, it's not because that tank draft. Right, and they've been disciplined. Think about, you know, there's so many fans clamoring uh, to re-sign Correa, and I'm not saying it, it didn't hurt, you know, that Correa's out, out of this organization, but uh, the discipline money said to let him go because now you're able to extend Jordan Alvarez for six at, at $115 million, and he's looking like he's one of the best players in the league, uh, and there's, there's these pitchers that are going to start making some money here pretty soon, and you're able to afford them without that big ticket uh, in the middle of the diamond. It, so they've lost Springer, they've lost Correa, they've yeah. lost Garrett Cole, they've lost Charlie Morton. Grinky. You know, Grinky. We, we can go we can go on for it's a, a lot while, of guys. But you have to have good player development and you have to have guys uh, being able to fit into the system. And every year right now, especially because the Astros draft so late and they had some draft picks taken away because of the cheating stuff, uh, they're still able to develop big leaguers. You know, and they're, they're ranked usually 28th to 30th as far as farm systems, but how do they keep running guys out out here in the big leagues? Who's doing these rankings? <laughs> yeah, who's doing these rankings, number one. But, I mean, I, I tip my hat to the player development. I mean, yeah. they're getting guys ready uh, at the big league level more quickly. One quick, you got time for a quick yeah, story? Yeah, because I, I want to ask you about Alvarez, because even though Commander Cody, my producer, is uh, he was part of the Jordan Alvarez fan club a while ago. Yeah. But go ahead. I got a question for you about it. Okay, this is about the Oakland A's. I was playing in Sacramento in AAA with the A's when I was 40 years old. And one thing I noticed when we were charting pitches behind home plate, we weren't charting uh, for anything other than does this guy swing at strikes or does he swing at balls? And that's all we were charting back behind home plate. And that was different from anywhere I'd ever been. And when I was out of the game, I I wanted to get back into baseball, and I had a – a meeting with the GM at the time with the Houston Astros, I said, hey, the A's are doing something pretty interesting right now. And when they have guys get to the big league level, like an Eric Chavez, say, they're ready to perform because they swing at strikes. You know, they they get judged and they get rewarded on how well they control the strike zone. And I remember it falling on deaf ears. And I was a little frustrated, but, you know, what can you do? But I remember thinking that the A's 20 years ago were way ahead of the game in that regard because of that. And I see a lot of that with the Astros. When guys come into this lineup, I think they're teaching the Astros at some level, or these levels down in the minor leagues. And we see it with Jeremy Pena now. We see it with Kyle Tucker. Bregman was probably like this, you know, already to begin with. But with even two strikes, they're taking so many close pitches, home and on the road, uh, just <laughs> off the plate. And Just to clarify. Yeah, but, but <laughs> you know, I, I say that because I used to think that in 2016, 2017, I said, how do they take these pitches? And when that cheating stuff went down, I thought, you know what, that's how they did it. But they still do it. They're just very disciplined at being able to control the strike zone. 
great thing about you is it wouldn't have mattered. They knew it was coming anyway. Right, yeah, I, I tell them. Hey, yeah. here it is. I wanted them to swing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I used to do? This is, this is a helpful hint in case somebody's throwing a knuckleball out there. Throw it a little bit slower. That way uh, you have time to back up. And, and when guys hit it back at you, you got room to react. That's That was my plan as a big leaguer. I got to tell you, they're just watching guys struggle <laughs> against. And if you make that thing hey, move, if it's, good, it's amazing. If it's good, it doesn't matter who it it's is. It's hard. I, I remember yeah. we, you know, playing in college at San Jose State, we had a guy that had a good knuckleball. And just playing catch with them, yeah. it was tough. It it's a lot it's easier horrible. to do it playing catch because the trick is to keep your palm behind the ball a long time. And when you're on flat ground, you can do it. But when you're on the slope and, and you're throwing downhill toward the catcher, then you get the rollover because your palm isn't behind the ball as long. So, so the you, trick, the trick is to aim at the very top of the catcher's mask. So you're aiming a little higher, so your palm stays behind it. That's how you take the spin off more consistently. Can you imagine if we brought you back? Yeah. And you went the day after Verlander. So you because the thing, to, the thing for me, what's amazing, what's yeah, really out of the same tunnel. Is he six five? Yeah, I think he's six five. And the fact that his ball doesn't go like this, his ball stays and yeah. it rides high, right? So yeah. to get on top of it. I don't know how you do it. Obviously, no. no one's. Plus, he has that optical illusion because he has great spin. You know, so even though it's high, it's even higher uh, for a guy to try to get on top of it because it has less drop than most guys because it spins more. Uh, he's, he, he deviates from the standard as far as his spin rate, and that's where he gets so much deception. And then the next day, here you come. Yeah, there, here I come. That would be, as a hitter, you got Verlander throwing it down your throat, and the next day, yeah. I'm, Jesus, what am I? You know what, Bob Melvin, two or three years ago in Houston, tossed me a baseball in the in the A's dugout. He said, do you think you could throw a knuckleball with this? And it was as hard as this table. Cue ball. It was a cue ball. And I said, no, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I said, there's no way I could have thrown a knuckleball. But now I've grabbed one of these balls now, and they're softer. I can make an indention with my fingernails into the ball now, into the hide. So... Yeah, I think there might be a knuckleballer come back. But two or three years ago, I don't think a guy could have thrown a knuckleball in the game. I want to ask you, so MLB Network today did the deal on AL MVPs. And, you know, you're going to have all the greatness that is Otani. Yeah. I'm down on, on Otani from the standpoint of in that 14-game losing streak, he was terrible. He didn't hit, hmm. pitch, both of them. I've gone through the numbers. Joe Madden gets fired. That was their season. They're done. But he'll have these incredible numbers again that we've never seen before. Obviously, Judge, what Judge is doing is MVP quality. Uh, if you had to make your case, could you make a case that Alvarez should be the American League MVP? Yeah, because he's not strictly a DH anymore. I think you can make the case. I think he's the best hitter in baseball. Can uh, we say that? That's big. Yeah, he, he has the highest slugging percentage, the uh, weighted runs created plus. He's and he's not bad defensively. He's good. He's not, he's not just average, he's good. And he's throwing at 93 miles per hour from the outfield, gunning guys out at home plate. He can run way better than you think, gets good jumps, takes takes a little pride out there. Uh, he's a good outfielder. I think I don't even think he's average. So uh, I think you throw that into the equation too. Uh, and another guy that gets overshadowed, and he's not in the MVP conversation, but Kyle Tucker is yeah. a great baseball player. And you'll see it, you know, we play a lot of games against the A's here coming up, and you'll see it more and more. He's he's legit. He's He should be talked on like one of the top 15 hitters in the league, maybe as far as value to a team, too. I always love first time I saw him, I, uh, George Brett, no batting gloves. That's old school. I he love, is old school. I love that. You know, he'll tell you something, too. He hits lefties real well, just like Jordan Alvarez. 
And he'll tell you it's because his brother, who used to play for the Astros, Preston Tucker, was left-handed. He said they play wiffle ball or games <laughs> in the backyard. Yeah. Preston's throwing stuff at his, his right ear, you know, and he said he learned how to hang in there or else uh, his big brother was going to take advantage of him the whole time. But he credits uh, his his success against left-handed pitchers to those backyard games. That's all you saw. Yeah, that's all you saw. <laughs> Got these lefties from behind me. Long way to go, but if you had to vote for MVP, who would you vote? It, for me, it's it's a coin flip with Otani and Alvarez. You know, when you're saying most valuable player. Yeah, it's a, I think there's context to it. I, there's context. I, I don't like that because, to me, if we're just doing, all right, go to baseball reference and pick a guy, Otani's going to win every time. Right. But when you go wins above replacement and you start looking at what a guy does on, on both sides of the ball, it's – it's almost unfair right now with what Otani. I don't know how he's how long he's going to be able to do this. What he's doing right now, last year and this year, maybe two or three more years. I can't imagine him doing that for eight or nine more years. Can you? You mean he's, like he's 39 years old, like Verlander, and he's still hitting and pitching? Or 35 even? How old is he? 28? 20, 28. 28 years old. I mean, I can't see him doing he's it more in than his five prime. more years. He's in his prime. Yeah. And this is beating him down. This is hard on your body. So to be able to do this five more years, I'm not sure. But in this little window right now, and I know, I know you can get sour on a 14-game stretch when it need you need it most. But it happens. Yeah. You know that stuff happens sometimes. And sometimes, you know, look at who you're facing, and and, and if you're not swinging the bat well right now, it, it gets exasperated. So it makes things tougher. But I like to look at the the full the full package. And right now, what we're seeing, I just can't believe anybody pitches to Alvarez as hot as he is right now last I think it's last 35 games he has 14 homers 39 RBIs and I mean his OPS is 1200 this team will find a way so we know these numbers (laughs) we know these numbers but to see what he's able to do from foul pole to foul pole uh, the way he sets up pitchers like he's 30 years old he's setting up pitchers he's got nine homers on change-ups I guarantee eight of those nine, he sat on them. He sat on these changeups because somebody may have gotten him out his, his A-B before, and he sets on it and takes them deep. And Who does that? He's David Ortiz for me. He's David Ortiz in, in his prime. Yeah, whenever you see a big man control the strike zone like that, it's, it's very impressive. Yeah. We, at some point, I don't know how, but we got to get out and play golf. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a time. You know what? Um you know, there'll be an off day at some point, and we'll get that out I there can make Korak it happen and, here in the Bay Area. Yeah, oh, great. Yeah. That'll be great. So uh, we, don't get to, we don't get to play very much anymore, but we're going at uh, Pelican Hill mm-hmm. when we go play uh, the Angels here in a couple days. Looking forward to that, but haven't gotten to play a whole lot. Well, yeah, well I'd love to hang with you guys on a that golf will course. Be, that will be, instead of me getting you the Ride the Wave Trident or the Tony Kipp sign ball. Yeah. I will set up a tee time the next time we can make that available. Yeah, we'll get Blummer, we'll get Cock, uh, Korak, we'll get uh, Catronio. We'll have a good time. We'll make that happen. Yeah, let's do it. Have a great broadcast. All right, buddy. Appreciate Always appreciate it. it. Yeah, we got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. And from one great career to another, Tom Greve, this man has been with the Texas Rangers for, what, 50 years? 50 years. This is his last season. A player. A GM, a broadcaster, a legendary career. Here's the great Tom Green. 
Tom knows what I'm talking about as he played for years and has been in this game for a long time. I mean, it's been a really good story. Tom, great to have you back on A's Cast Live. How are you? I'm doing fine, Chris. Thanks for having me back. You know, we were just talking about the Baltimore Orioles and how that you know they're kind of uh, at a point grabbing the attention of everybody in the game. Uh, I mean, as somebody that's you've done everything in this game and knowing about the Oriole way back in the day, isn't baseball better when the Orioles are competitive and doing well in the game? Well, you go back a long time, and you know, I go back to having played against Brooks Robinson and seeing the Oriole team with Mark Belanger at shortstop and Dave McNally and Jim Palmer. So, you know, I remember the Orioles when they were the best in the business. And then over the years, they've had some really good teams too. Of course, Cal Ripken, his career spanned a lot of really good teams. And I agree. I I like to see the Orioles make a comeback like that. And it's funny how these things happen with teams like the Orioles. It kind of sneaks up on you and you don't see it happening. But that's because player development, and scouting is such an inexact science and it's not in the forefront, but over time they've had some good drafts. They've developed some kids and all of a sudden they win a couple of games. The young kids are playing good and they get excited and they, they have a good thing going. They've got some camaraderie and some karma and all of a sudden they've won nine straight games and everybody's going, Whoa, how did that happen? (laughs) Same thing happened with Houston a few years back. They lost a hundred games, three straight years and, They've been on top ever since. So baseball is a funny game, but it it goes back to the basics. It goes back to the fundamentals. If you scout well and you develop well and you give your own players a chance to play in the big leagues, develop them that way, uh, that's the recipe for success. And I haven't really studied the Orioles this year, but I would guess if you went through their roster, you'd see a lot of homegrown players. You know, we think about your great career. You're in the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame. You're dubbed Mr. Ranger back in the day. I mean, everything as a player, a GM, a broadcaster. I I know about your great relationship with Ray Fossey, and recently we played one of your old interviews that you did with Ray, and and we know that this is going to be your last year. When you start thinking about your career, the Texas Rangers, what the – what the affiliation with the franchise has meant to you and your life and your family. Just uh, what has it been like all these years with the Rangers for you? Yeah, it's tough to summarize that question in, in a minute or so. But the thing, one of the things that's meant the most to me, except for one year in 1978, I think it was when I played for the Mets, I've been in this franchise going back to the Senators before the Senators became the Rangers for just about 55 out of my 56 years in baseball. So having been able to be part of the same organization, basically my whole career has been very meaningful to me. My kids were all raised here in Texas. We've never had to move because of a change in team or anything like that. All our friends are here and going to the ballpark every day and looking back on on my life in baseball knowing I've been in one place with the Rangers uh, for some reason, that means a lot to me. Well, it should, because your career has been uh, incredible. And, you know, knowing your son who played for the A's, you could tell he was raised right. And it's been a good life for you guys there in Texas. And I have to think with this new ballpark, just the way the franchise is set up now and set up for the future, as you are retiring 
I think you have to feel good about the direction of where the Texas Rangers are going as an organization. Oh, no doubt about it. They, they've been down for the last four or five years, but you hit the nail on the head with this new stadium. The temperatures in Texas the last week and for the next week have been anywhere from 102 to 105. And when you think about the old ballpark, it was a beautiful ballpark. I, I think it's probably even a more beautiful ballpark than this one, but it's hard to imagine and hard to expect fans to come out when it's 105 degrees and sit in the sun for several hours to watch a ball game. So now with this new stadium air conditioned, it's absolutely beautiful. The Rangers are positioned to be able to compete with any team in baseball economically with their, with their revenues. They've spent some money in the last season to sign Marcus Semyon and Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager. Uh, they signed John Gray pitching tonight against the A's. It's not the final product yet, but they've got the third pick in this draft. They had the second or third pick last year. They continue to develop their farm systems gone from, you know, in the, in the high twenties ranked to, I think it's ranked maybe somewhere in the top 10 right now. So good things are going on right now. And, and I got a, I've got a feeling in a couple of years, whenever it is that the Rangers get back on top and compete for a division championship and, go to the postseason and maybe go to the World Series again, that that'll sneak up on people too. But when you're here watching it every day, it's not here yet, obviously. It's not a finished product. There's a lot of work to do. But you can see the, you can see the groundwork for it being laid. And I, do, I agree with you that as I'm getting out and I look at the franchise right now, I think better things are ahead for sure. Do you like what baseball is doing right now here in the middle of summer when you have no football, you have no basketball, you have no hockey, you've got the sports world, the team sports world to yourself. We're now lumping all this stuff together, whether you're talking about it's going to go futures game, then we're going to have home run derby, then we're going to have the all-star game, then we're going to have the draft, then we're going to have the trading deadline. It's like baseball is going to be able to make all this news really before football training camp starts. They've lumped it all together. I'm not sure general managers love this, but you were a GM. How do you like this for the game of baseball and for getting the game in the spotlight? I love it. I, I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think it gives fans a chance to see the best of baseball, the best players play in the all-star game, the best young players play in the future game, then the future of the game, which is the draft happening all at the same time. I think it's a fantastic plan. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to I'm going to have the honor of representing the Rangers at the draft on Sunday out in Los Angeles. My son, Ben, is going to come with me. We're going to sit at the table and help the Rangers make the first pick. We're not going to do it ourselves, but they're going to tell yeah. us what to, what to say and who that pick is going to be. So I've never done that before, and I'm really looking forward to it, getting getting out there and seeing all the festivities. It's, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to do it. But, you know, as you described everything that's going on over the next week, I think it's fantastic. I'm all for it. I love it. So you're saying you and Ben are not going to sit there and go rogue and pick whoever you want, you're the guy that you want? <laughs> we talked about that, but I don't think that would be a, I don't think that would be the way that I want to put the exclamation point on my legacy as a Ranger. Oh, that would be funny. But yeah, I mean, what a great honor. And when you talk about Ben, of course, being rookie of the year and an all-star for the athletics, just give us an update. How's he doing? 
Uh, he's doing great. He lives uh, he lives in Southern California in the San Diego area. Um, he's obviously retired. He's the coach of most of his kids' teams. He helps them do their homework. He's the world's greatest father. He works out every day, does yoga three or four times a week. He's big into fantasy sports. He's he's living the life that he probably dreamed of as a kid. I, you know, I, I he knew that. My goal from the time I was five years old was to be a, a major leaguer, and I think that was the same with him. And so for a dad to see that happen with him was heartwarming, and now to see the way that he's bringing up his kids and the kind of kids my, grand, his, my grandkids, his kids have become is another thing that's heartwarming. So I'm proud of him. I can't wait to see him and um, take part in the draft this Sunday. You know, obviously, it was so tough on all of us to lose our great friend, Ray Fossey, and we've been honoring him all season long. And like I said earlier, we recently played a interview that Ray did with you. Uh, now, now that you've had time to reflect a little bit, I know whenever you probably see the Oakland Athletics, it's got to be tough when you think about your dear friend, Ray Fossey. Well, you know, that that's absolutely true. You, you hit the nail right on the head when you just said that. When the A's come into town, one of the things as I'm driving to the ballpark for the first game in the series or taking the bus out to the Coliseum for the first game of the series out there, the first thing I expect to do is get off the elevator, walk up to the broadcast booth, and go say hi to Ray. And when he comes to our ballpark, he would do the same thing. And the thing that stands out, and I think you could talk to anybody that knew Ray, when you shake hands with him, he's got the world's biggest hand and the world's strongest handshake. And you have to brace yourself, make sure you get the right angle with your hand, and because he's not going to let up the way he shakes your hand. I never forget that about him. But I love talking to him. He was he was old school all the way. Um, he would vent a little bit about certain things that are going on in the game, but the one thing that you can't deny is how much he loved the game. Uh, I love playing against him. Um, thinking back about Ray, the one thing, one, one thing I wish that had happened in his career, I wish the throw to the plate in the all-star game got there about a second earlier so that he could have caught that ball and braced for the collision with Pete Rose. Um, and if that had happened, that might've ended Pete Rose's career because Ray, Ray was, you know, a big, solid, strong linebacker type. And I just hated to see that collision with Ray's arms raised up the air, up in the air, and Pete barreling him over at the plate. Would have been an entirely different thing if Ray had that ball a second earlier. Um, so when I think about his career, that's one thing I think of. But the other thing that I know about Ray, and I saw it every time that I was with him, is how much he loved the A's organization, how much he loved his relationship with the team. He was down on the field constantly talking with the players. He had energy. He was a great broadcaster, a great baseball guy. And I, I, I think if you talk to 100 other baseball people, they would give you the same version of what I just said. He, he was a treasure. He was a baseball treasure. He was a treasure for the Oakland A's. And for those of us that knew him well, it was a sad day when we learned of his passing. Well, the same can be said about you with the Texas Rangers. I mean, you look, I mean, going back to the early 70s to where – we are now, I mean, if you're a Rangers fan, their entire life, they grew up with you either as a player, a broadcaster, a general manager with this organization. Uh, I, I know the goodbye is not going to be easy because this has been your life. But when you think about it, is there anything that uh, you think, man, 
if there's one thing I will miss after all these years, there's probably a lot that you're like, I'm not going to miss. But if there's one thing, what is, what is it you think you'll miss? I think the thing that, that most people miss the most, and it's true with me too, when I, the first day that I was retired as a player, the thing I knew I was going to miss the most was the relationship with the players in the clubhouse, the camaraderie that you have with the players. Because once, once you're retired, once you leave a team, it's never the same. I could go back into the clubhouse the next year with many of the same players there, and they're all going to be friendly, and it's all going to feel great, but it's not the same when you're wearing the same uniform. And so when I broadcast my last game at the end of this season, I'm sure I'll feel a lot of the same things about all the people that I've met when I worked in the front office, all the people I've met when I've been a broadcaster, both in our organization with the other teams. You know, that's one thing. I, I don't miss the travel. Um, I know I'm getting out at the right time. I don't think I'm going to look back and feel like I retired too soon or anything like that. But the one thing I, I do think about a lot and miss all the time are all the people that you meet, the relationships that you have. I think that when most people retire from baseball, whatever their job is, that's probably a similar feeling that everybody has. You, you, people in baseball are such wonderful people. There's so many stories to tell, so many great times, so many laughs. Um, the season unfolds over 162 games, and there's so many things to talk about. And remember that when you're out of it and you're not in the middle of it, you don't have those same relationships and conversations. I think that's probably what I'll miss the most. Great stuff. Enjoy the, the break. Enjoy the time with Ben in Los Angeles, and we'll talk to you in the second half. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Great being with you. Thank you, Tom. Tom Grieve, Ray, Ray's legend, baseball legend. This guy has been with the Texas Rangers dating back to the Washington Senators since I was born, even before I was born. I think, what, what was his first year, 1970? Yeah, he's been with the organization. I mean, well, that's, 50, that's fifty-two years. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a long. Was well, that said one year with the Mets? Yeah, it's been a long time. When I think of long-term broadcasters, I mean, he's one of the first guys I think of. Wait, a minute, hold on. He left the Rangers for two years, seventy-eight, seventy-nine. So basically, fifty years he's been with one organization. We want to thank Rex Hudler, Ryan Roland Smith, Steve Sparks, and Tom Grieve for stopping by. A's Cast Live. And now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.